0: Well, we've talked already today about um, people who are in slavery, and our story today is about someone who was a slave. Um, Her name is Hagar, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but you might be familiar with the other major players in her story, Sarah and Abraham. Um, And our story comes from Genesis 16 and also Genesis 21, so we're going to be talking a little bit about Hagar and her Amazing encounters um, with God. First of all, at this point in Scripture, Sarah and Abraham are not Sarah and Abraham yet. Their names are Sarai and Abram. God has not changed their names yet. But God has come to Abram and given a covenant, made a covenant with him. And the covenant was one that God would make Abram's descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky And the second part of that is that he and his descendants, um, would own the land that they were living on at that point. So God had already come and made that covenant with Abram. There's a slight problem with this covenant. Um, Sarah and Abraham are 80 or in their 80s at this point and they don't have any children yet. So it's a little bit of a problem. And I think, uh, Sarai and Abram were both very aware of that problem. So instead of waiting around for God to act, waiting around for a miracle to happen, uh, they decided to take matters into their own hands. So one day Sarai decides, well, what I need to do is take my servant Hagar and ask her to be Abram's second wife, and then she can conceive a child, and then she can have the child for me. This is actually common in this t- in that time and in that culture. If uh, a woman could not have a baby herself, she would take one of her slaves, one of her servants, um, give that servant to her husband and say, you're going to um, have a baby for me and then when you have that baby, it's going to be mine. Basically is what happens. So that baby is going to be the heir of Sarai and Abram, not Hagar. The baby won't belong to Hagar. So this, this is actually a good plan for Sarai. She doesn't have to do anything except command her servant to go and marry an 80-year-old man <laughs> um, and then to get pregnant. Um, and then she gets an heir. But not a very good plan for Hagar. Um, we don't know how old she is or was, but probably very young. Um, and she is forced to marry Abram um, and forced to conceive a child and bear that child and then give that child up. Um, I can't even imagine what that would be like, um, having two babies of my own to um, go through that pregnancy and then hand the baby over. Um, So it was a hard plan for Hagar, but it works out in Sarah's favor because Hagar goes into Abram's tent, so to speak, and she uh, conceives a child. So Sarah's plan worked, so she was excited. However, there was a wrench in the plan Hagar, it says um, it says that after Hagar became pregnant, she looked with contempt on her mistress. That's what the, the scripture says. She looks with contempt on her mistress. Uh, we don't know what that means, really. Um, she was not happy with Sarah for some reason, whether that be um, she decided the plan was not a good plan and she wanted to go back on that. Or um, maybe she just doesn't like being pregnant and she said, you did this to me. So she gave uh, Sarah an attitude. We don't know exactly what it is. Um, But she looked with contempt on her mistress. And having recently been pregnant... I don't really blame Hagar at all because it's not a picnic. I'm sure that she was bloated and swollen ankles and, and fatigued and nauseous and having heartburn. Um, and she was doing this also so she could give the baby up um, when it was born. So I don't really blame her for looking with contempt on her mistress. Um, but Sarah did blame Hagar uh, for looking with contempt on her. And she was upset. And she goes to Abram and she says, What are you going to do about this? Look, your your servant is looking with me on contempt. And really, she's Abram's second wife. So that's why Sarah goes to Abram. But Abram says, you know what? You deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. You deal with it. Um, That was not a very good decision on Abram's part, I think. Because already Sarah's probably dealing with, you know, feelings of hurt and bitterness that she couldn't conceive a child. But then you add to that the fact that Hagar is looking with contempt on her mistress, and it's a volatile situation. So what happens since Sarah is given the blessing to do whatever she wants with her servant? Um, it says in Genesis 16:6 6, that Sarah Sarai deals harshly with Hagar. It's like three little words. Sarah deals harshly with Hagar, But that word that's translated deals harshly. Um, is a word that throughout scripture is used to mean abuse, um, abuses, or oppresses. So in Exodus, when they're talking about the people of God being in Egypt, it says that they were oppressed um, and they were abused with this same word. So um, we don't know what kind of abuse Sarah is is giving Hagar. It could be emotional. It could be verbal. It could be physical. um, We don't know. But it's bad enough that Hagar decides to run away. So Hagar is pregnant um, and upset, and she runs away into the wilderness by herself, um, probably heading towards Egypt, which is where she's from. Um, So we're going to pick up there in the story in Genesis 16. If you want to look in your pew Bibles, Genesis 16, starting in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where, where are you come from and where are you going? She said, I am running away from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Now you have conceived and shall bear a son, and you shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man, and his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall live at odds with all his kin. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Roy, for she said, "Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing Him?" Therefore, the well was called Beer Laharoi. It lies between between Kadesh and Bered. So, there's a lot going on in this passage, but I want to highlight several things here. Um, first of all, it says in verse seven that an angel of the Lord finds her, and throughout the passage, it, it keeps saying angel of the Lord. It's very common, actually, in Scripture, when it, when it says the angel of the Lord came to visit someone, that is actually God coming, and we learn that because Hagar later on recognizes that it's God that she's speaking to, and so she ends up naming him, and then also marveling at the fact that she's able to see God um, and and still live. So I'm going to assume that this is not just an angel, a rogue angel on his own. This is God um, coming down to visit um, and talk with Hagar. The second thing I want to highlight is that God comes to her, but then he tells her to go back to Sarah. Return to your mistress and submit to her. And that is not really the answer that I was looking for from God. Like, I wanted God to come and say, okay, I am going to take you safely back to Egypt, and you can go back to your home and your family, um, and everything will be fine. But no, God doesn't do that. Um, and I have... I. I stand here today and tell you I don't know why God does that. But I do think that there is a bigger plan, um, working here, that God has a plan, and it involves Hagar going back, um, to Abraham and Sarah and having the baby there. Um, and the hope, is we will find out later that god does not leave her in that situation god does come to her again and rescues her um, but now for now she has to go back and isn't that an interesting word to us that sometimes we we don't get um what we want when we want it that god says not now i have a plan i'm going to send you somewhere and don't worry i'm going to rescue you so it's a good word for us there um, another thing i want to point out is that God does not, though he sends her back uh, into an abusive situation, he does not leave her without comfort. Um, He comforts her with a prophecy. And he prophesies that that the baby that's in her womb is going to be a boy, is a boy, and that she will call him Ishmael. It's really important to know what Ishmael means in in the original language. What it means is God hears. And so... What God is telling her is not just you know you're blessed because you have a son and this is exciting, but I'm hearing you and I heard you and I will continue to hear you and it's um, I think it's it's something that encourages her as she has to go back turn around and walk back um, that God has hearing her and God will continue to heal to hear her and then this is the most amazing part of the story um, Hagar realizes that she's talking to God um, and she names God she gives God a name. Now, this is almost unprecedented in Scripture. Um, there are people that meet with God. Jacob met with God and wrestled with God. Um, and Abram meets with God. And they have given names to the places that they met God with. But ne- neither of them gave God a name. Like, this is the only person that we see giving God a name. And what she names God is El Roy, the God who sees. So she recognized, first of all, that she's seeing God. Um, And she shouldn't be able to live, but she is. But most importantly, that God sees her. Like I heard, I saw one um, person translate it, the God who sees me. And it's personal to her um, that God not just hears her, but sees her and is with her. Um, And I think that's a a beautiful way to look at God. And the person who, the narrator who tells the story, wants us to realize too um, that Hagar is important in the fact that she names God. And she's not just some character that comes on and off. She's important, and I'm going to tell you a little bit later why. So after this encounter that Hagar has with God, um, she goes back, and it says that she bore her son, and they named him Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when that happened. Um, you would think that the story would end there for Hagar, but it doesn't. It picks back up five chapters later, um, and 13 years later, um, with another interesting situation in the 13 years that has passed. Um, God came once again to Abram and named him Abraham. So now he's Abraham. Um, and he solidifies the covenant <clears throat> with Abraham by telling him that he needs to circumcise all the males in his household. So he actually circumcises Ishmael who was 13 years old at the time. Um, cause he's part of his household. Also, something very important happens. Miracle of miracles. Sarah conceives when she, couldn't, she didn't think she could. And she gives birth to a son um, whom they name Isaac. And really, things have worked out very well for Sarah. Though she couldn't have a baby, she got one heir through her uh, servant. And now she's able to um, conceive and have a child. And so things are going well for her. You would think that she would be satisfied. <laughs> but um, something happens. Um, in Genesis 21, 9, it says that Sarah saw Hagar's son playing with her son, Isaac. Now, Isaac's probably about three at this time, and Ishmael's 13. And something in her clicks, and it just made her upset. And she decided she didn't want Ishmael to have any part of the inheritance of Abraham. Like, that inheritance goes to her son, Isaac, and she doesn't want Ishmael to be there for that. So she goes to Abraham, Abraham and says... I want you to send Hagar and Ishmael away. Um, and the scripture tells us that Abraham was disturbed by this, but um, he ends up agreeing with Sarah and deciding to send um, his second wife and his firstborn son away into the wilderness. <clears throat> so Abraham gives her bread and a skin of water. That's about it. And sends her off to her fate in the wilderness. I, I don't really know what to say at this point. Like that, that whole story is, is, is so interesting. And we, we, we're used to looking at Sarah and Abraham as being these pillars of faith. But they were not perfect. They did some hard things. <clears throat> so it is in at this point in um, Hagar's literal and figurative wilderness that she encounters God again. God comes to her. So let's turn to Genesis 21, um, verse 15, and read there. When the water in the skin was gone, Hagar cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Sorry, my voice is going. Actually, water. Yes, thanks. So, it works out, against all odds, that Hagar and Ishmael have a happy ending. Thank you. <clears throat> they, um, it's interesting. Instead of saying how well things worked out for Hagar, the narrator decides to say how well things worked out for Ishmael, because that's important. Hagar, All that mattered to her when she was in the wilderness was that her son was going to die. She sat him um, under a bush and she went away. And she doesn't worry about the fact that she's going to die. She's worrying about the fact that her son's going to die. So the narrator picks up on that and says, Look how well things worked out for Ishmael. He gets a wife from Egypt and he becomes a, a great bow archer and things work out well. And it's a good story. But as one of my preaching professors said, So what? What does that mean for us? It's an interesting story about Hagar, who was a slave, and Sarah and Abraham. But what does it mean for us? And I think the best way for me to put myself in a story and say, how is God talking to me, is to look at each character in the story and say, where am I in this story? I mean, what character am I most like? And then, what character should I be most like? So I've made a chart. Carrie's going to put it up there. Of the different characters in the story. And I just want us to look at different characteristics they have. <coughs> I'm sorry about that. So first, let's start with Abraham. Um, I've just put like just different characteristics about him so we can get a feel for his character in this story. So first of all, he's wealthy and he's powerful. He is very wealthy. God has blessed him. And he's also acquired more wealth as he's traveled around. And he's powerful. He is uh, the head of a household of many people and many cattle. So he's powerful. He's also blessed by God and chosen. Like God has come to him and chosen him to have this covenant with him and start basically the people of Israel. So he's a blessed and chosen person. Now, in this story, he also has... He doesn't... Display very many good characteristics. What happens is he remains very passive. Like first of all, when um, Sarai comes to him and says, "There's a problem between me and Hagar," he says, "I'm not going to do anything about it. You deal with it." So he's very passive in in this story. Also, it seems that his actions are very ineffective. Um, though, <laughs> though, I, it says that he was disturbed about sending Hagar and Ishmael away. All he does is give them a skin of water and, and bread. So apparently whatever gesture he's trying to make is not effective. Like she runs out of water and and is is um, about to die in the wilderness. So basically Abraham, Abraham in this story, very passive, and whatever he does is, is ineffective. It does not work um, to help anybody. Next is Sarah. Uh, she, like Abraham, is wealthy and powerful because she's his wife. She doesn't have a problem using her power either, as we've seen in the story. Um, she is also blessed and chosen, chosen to bear the son who is going to be the line, um, the line of the covenant, um, Isaac. So she's blessed and chosen as well. In this story, she also uses and abuses Hagar. She basically treats her as an instrument to be used, and then she also abuses her. <clears throat> and then she's uncompassionate. Um, in the scene where she sends Hagar and Ishmael away, she's basically is sending them away for the good of her own son. She has no compassion on Hagar as a person, even though Hagar's probably lived with her for many, many years and been her servant for many, many years. And this son, who was supposed to be hers, Ishmael was supposed to be hers in the first place, um, has no compassion on, on them. So, um, though Abraham and Sarah, I'm not picking on them, but though Abraham and Sarah are are pillars of the faith, they have made many mistakes in this story. And I think it's important um, that they do, because it helps us um, realize something. And we'll talk about that later. So, Hagar is the next character in our story. And Hagar... In contrast, to Abraham and Sarah um, is powerless. She's a servant, and she has no power. She has no say in anything. Uh, When they told her that she had to have a baby, she couldn't say anything. She, yes, yes, ma'am, whatever you say. So she's powerless to help herself and to get out of the situation, whatever it may be. Um, Next, she's enslaved, and she's an alien. She's She's from Egypt. She doesn't belong where she is. Most likely, she was given to Abraham and Sarah by um, some Egyptian prince or king. And so she's enslaved and she's in a a land that's not hers. Um, And in this story, she is used as an instrument and she's abused by Sarah and really abused by Abraham to the fact that he lets her go um, in the wilderness. And she's rejected by the only family that she knows now, like this family that she's lived with for many years, that she bore a son for that they interact every day. She's rejected and they send her away. So um, those are some characteristics of her. And then the last character that we have is God. God is a very important character in this story because he comes to Hagar twice. <clears throat> what God does in this story is God empowers. He empowers Hagar and empowers Ishmael eventually to escape their situation. And, um, and, he, and they're able to um, live on their own. And to escape um, slavery God also blesses He doesn't just bless Sarah and Abraham We know that He blesses Hagar um, With a son And blesses her with a prophecy That he's going to multiply her descendants as well Also God sees and and God hears And that's part of the story When Hagar first encounters God He says You're going to have a son Ishmael Which means God hears And I hear you And then also um, Hagar names him, you are the God who sees. And so he sees Hagar, um, someone who has been invisible as a slave and no one else sees her and God sees her. And then last of all, most importantly, um, God has compassion on Hagar um, and comes to her twice um, to rescue her and has this plan for her that he enacts. Um, so those are our four characters. And what I want to ask you today is, who are you most like in this story? Who do you identify with the most? And then, <clears throat> who should you identify with the most? And before you answer that question in your head, let me remind you that on the world scene, um, the fact that we live in California, we actually have houses or apartments to live in, and we have food to eat, um, makes us wealthy. Like, we are wealthy in the world. So, and we are also powerful, because we are in control of our own destinies. So after thinking about that, um, we can probably assume that most of us are either Abraham or Sarah in this story. Because we are not enslaved and we are not powerless. Um, So when I ask that question now, are you Abraham or are you Sarah? Um, Abraham is passive. um, And when he sees someone hurting in his life, someone that's close to him even, and he doesn't do what he's supposed to do. He doesn't stand up. for her and he, he doesn't do anything so he's passive and what he does do is so half-hearted that is it's ineffective um so that's abraham sarah uses hagar um, for her own gain and for the gain of her son um, so she uses and abuses people and is really uncompassionate i don't know if you want to put yourself in that category but you know you you can think about what that is um And we have to ask ourselves whether we're Abraham or Sarah. I mean, how do we treat the Hagar's that are in our world? Um, I believe that the narrator focuses so strongly on Hagar here because he wants us to see someone we wouldn't usually see in a story, someone who would be invisible. Um, And really, this story is a small story in the big story of Abraham. But it's so focused on Hagar, we have to take notice of that. Um, to say, this is someone you don't usually see, this is someone you don't usually hear from, but we see her and we hear from her in the story. And she's front and center. And I really think that Hagar represents um, all who are enslaved and powerless in our society, whether it's people that are literally enslaved, like the people that Emancipation Network helps, or people who are emotionally enslaved, whether they have mental illness or they're enslaved to sin, whatever it is, there are people all around us that are powerless and enslaved. And we have to ask ourselves, where do we fit um, in these, in this, these characters? Are we passive to the people around us that are hurting? Are we ineffective in what we, the little that we do to help? Um, or are we maybe causing some people's, um, abuse, um, the people around us, uh, or even people across the world? Um, I have never been really good at, um, trying to buy free trade things. Um, but I have two friends here today who are really good at that. Um, and so sometimes by just what we do, when we go and buy something that's on sale at Walmart, we don't realize that there are people across the world that are hurting, that are enslaved, that are in sweatshops, making that so we can, we can buy something cheaply. So, though we don't realize that sometimes we are abusing people without realizing it, without knowing it, because um, there are people all over the world in these situations. So I don't know if it's easy to answer if you're Sarah or an Abraham, but it is easy to answer who you should be in this story, um, and that would be God. God uh, sees Hagar, um, where she is, and God hears her cries and her problems, um, and God acts um, with compassion on her. Um, and I think that is the model for what we um, should do with the people around us that are hurting. Um, I don't know who it is in your life, um, that you encounter every day that's hurting. It may be the woman on the corner who, um, who sleeps on the streets, um, and you walk by her and you ignore her. Um, it, it may be someone in your family who is dealing with something emotionally and you don't know how to reach out to them, so you don't reach out to them. I mean, I don't know who it is in your life that is hurting, that is abused, that is enslaved, um. But the word today from this scripture is that we have to see these people and we have to hear their cries and we have to hear what's wrong with them. And then, the hardest part, we have to do something, and not just something ineffective, but something effective that can help them where they are. Whether it's um, monetary or physical or praying for them or being their friend or whatever, Um, we need to reach out to people around us. And I think the best way... To do that is to offer God's love to them. I mean, that's the first thing to do uh, when you encounter someone in your life who is hurting and um, in slavery. That you reach out to them and show them God's love. And then God will show you what else you can do to help them. I, um, I wanted to challenge you today and challenge myself um, this week to try to notice someone in your life that is hurting and that is enslaved. Um that you would open your eyes to them and see them and, and ask God, what can I do to help this person? And not just walk by them and not just, you know, say hi and then oh, I can't do anything. Um, really, truly find someone in your life um, that needs your help and that needs the love of God, that needs to be rescued um, and do something for them. And to help you with that, Challenge, I'm going to give you a story so you can hear the story of someone maybe you wouldn't normally hear. Um, When I asked Charity to come here, I went on different websites for human trafficking and read a whole bunch of testimonies of people who have been trafficked. And I found this one of uh, a 14-year-old girl who was trafficked into the United States, here in our own country. And I'm going to read it for you. But I need to warn you, it's a a bit explicit, um, and I hope that I'm going to get through it. (laughs) But um, this is Rose's story. When I was 14, a man came to my parents' house in Veracruz, Mexico, and asked me if I was interested in making money in the United States. He said I could make many times as much money doing the same things that I was doing in Mexico. At the time, I was working in a hotel, cleaning rooms, and I also helped around my house by watching my brothers and sisters. He said I would be in good hands and would meet many other Mexican girls there who had taken advantage of this great opportunity. My parents didn't want me to go, but I persuaded them. A week later, I was smuggled into the United States through Texas to Orlando, Florida. It was then the men told me that my employment would consist of having sex with men for money. I had never had sex before and I had never imagined selling my body. And so my nightmare began. Because I was a virgin, the men decided to initiate me by raping me again and again, to teach me how to have sex. Over the next three months, I was taken to a different trailer every 15 days. Every night, I had to sleep in the same bed in which I had been forced to service customers all day. I couldn't do anything to stop it. I wasn't allowed to go outside without a guard. Many of the bosses had guns. I was constantly afraid. One of the bosses carried me off to a hotel one night, where he raped me. I could do nothing to stop him. Because I was so young, I was always in demand with the customers. It was awful. At one point, I became pregnant and was forced to have an abortion. They sent me back to the brothel almost immediately. I cannot forget what has happened. I can't put it behind me. I find it nearly impossible to trust people. I still feel shame. I was a decent girl in Mexico. I used to go to church with my family. I only wish none of this had ever happened. There are people all around us who are hurting like this person. And we are the eyes and the ears of God. And we have to hear them. And we have to see them. Will you pray with me? Dear God, we admit that we don't do enough for the people around us who are hurting. We ask you this morning to speak to us and to change our hearts, to open our eyes and open our ears and help us to step out of our self-centered lives so that we can make a difference in somebody's life who needs you. And whatever it may be that you have for us to do, we pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us and help us to do something this week that makes a difference in someone's life who is enslaved. We thank you that you have rescued us already. And we pray that we will... Be faithful to what you have done to us and that we will go and help others. Help them to know your love and help rescue them out of their situations. It is in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.